Well, good morning, everyone. You guys are tough. You came out in this freezing cold weather. I found out uh, that other churches have canceled because of the cold, and I guess we're just too stupid to know any better. Uh, we pull out a trailer, and we unload, and we all have our skin freeze, and yet here we are. Uh, and I think that we're going to have a great morning together. If you brought a Bible or you've got a Bible app on your phone, go ahead and open it up to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. If you do not have a Bible and want one, we have some on the Mac table, just slip your hand up high, and uh, one of our ushers will come and bring one to you. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, please take one of those with you. It would be uh, wonderful for us to give you a gift here in 2016. Um, but uh, it'd be good for you to have a Bible today. I'm going to have some of the Scripture up on the screen today, but we're also going to have some portions where the Scripture will not be on the screen today, but yet we're going to be looking at it and reading it. So it'd be good for you to get one in your hands. Well, as you're opening to Ephesians 4, I want to start off with a story about Sabine Moreau. I think that's how you pronounce her name. She's a 67-year-old woman from Belgium. And a couple of years ago, she needed to go to Brussels, which was about 90 miles away, to pick up a friend at the train station. So, like many of us, she gets in her car, and she's not quite sure where she's going, so she programs her GPS. And she proceeds to take off, and instead of going 90 miles to the train station, she goes 900 miles and ends up in Croatia. Now, you would think when all the road signs turned to German, uh, you know, going from French to, to German, and I think she went through Austria and through several others, she had to gas up twice. You would think she would have figured out when people are talking other languages that she's in a different country. You would have thought somewhere along the way she would have realized, I think my GPS is leading me the wrong place. But she didn't. She placed all of her faith, all of her trust in her GPS, and she ends up 900 miles away her friend had to find some other ride home. Uh, but when I heard the story, it reminded me a, a little bit of a time when I was coming back from Chicago to Waverly. I was at a conference, and I'm by myself. And so I'm just driving along, and I thought, you know what? I've got headphones that have a microphone built into it. Why don't I call my dad? And so I put in an earbud, talking to my dad, about 30, 45 minutes into the conversation. We're just having a great conversation. And all of a sudden, I'm driving along, and I realize that sign just said something about being in Wisconsin. And my plan was not to go through Wisconsin to get to Waverly. It was to kind of continue right along, you know, Interstate 90. And sure enough, in Rockford, Illinois, there was a bunch of construction. And I had just missed the exit for Highway 20. And I just kept right on Interstate 90 and headed north. And next thing I know, I'm like seeing Janesville. And it wasn't Janesville, Iowa. And it was because, like Sabine, my attention was in the wrong place. You know, Sabine was not looking at the signs around her. Her attention was on her GPS. Me, my attention was on my conversation with my dad. And so I missed the signs saying, hey, because of the construction, the exit has been rerouted for Highway 20. This is the way you need to go. When you put your attention on the wrong things, you end up going to the wrong place. Today, we're going to talk about how that is possible spiritually. All of us in this room have done that in one way or another. We've gone and we've put our attention on a certain boy or girl, thinking that if we get into this dating relationship, that means we're valuable. We just want the attention, and yet we find ourselves in a bad relationship. Because we put our attention on the wrong things, we end up in the wrong place. Or maybe you know people who have gone into a job and they're all about wanting money, or they're wanting power, they're wanting, you know, uh, the attention. And so they begin to make compromises at work, and they actually begin to take shortcuts and compromise their own ethics, and they end up 
putting their attention on the wrong things and end up in the wrong place. Or those of you in school, you long for popularity. You, you want the attention. You want to be told you matter, you're cool. And so you end up putting your attention in all these things. The next thing you know, you're doing things you never thought you'd do. You'd be saying things that you know, my mom and dad would not want me to be doing this. And you're doing all these wrong things, thinking it's going to get you someplace great, but really it's just leading you to the wrong place. And today, as we look at Ephesians 4, we're going to see Paul kind of point this out, that when you put your attention on these wrong things, it's going to lead you to the wrong place, because where you look is where you'll walk. That when you look at these things saying, that's what I want, that's where I'll find connection— you're going to walk that way and gravitate that direction, and it's going to lead you to the wrong place. But the opposite is also true. That when you put your eyes on the things of God, when you look at Jesus, you will then begin to walk that direction. Because where you look is where you'll walk. And as you walk that direction, now you find the connection that you seek that God has for you, but also it's going to spill out and actually bless other people. Today, Paul is going to help us see this tremendous contrast, and it's going to hopefully help us see that what we need to do to keep these spiritual New Year's resolutions that we we're setting for 2016, that what we need is a new outlook. So let's pray. Father, I pray that today, through your scriptures, you would help us to get that new outlook. That rather than put our eyes on the things of this world and all that it tempts us with that, that is so tantalizing, and instead we would turn our back to it and we would see Jesus. We would see the power of the gospel. But, but God, we can't do this in and of ourselves. So today, Holy Spirit, I just invite you to open the hearts, to open the minds, to open the ears of your people here today, and that you would help them to see Jesus so that they would find him and follow him. Lord, I pray for anyone here that is, does not have a centered relationship on you, that today you would be opening their eyes and their hearts. And for others who, who know you, they know about you, but today you would just be calling them deeper. And that they would realize that there's areas in life where they're really going after the wrong things. And so they're ending up in the wrong place. And that today, by shifting their outlook, they might see Jesus in a new way, a fresh way. And it would just draw them into connection with you. So, Father, I pray that you would speak to us today through uh, Ephesians, through me, but ultimately through your Holy Spirit to our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray this together. Amen. All right, so hopefully you're opened up to Ephesians 4 already. And we're going to start in verse 17, Ephesians 4, 17. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness." Now, our author today is Paul. If you've been around Riverwood very long, maybe last summer you would have been with us when we studied the book of Galatians. It's another letter written by Paul. Many of you have been with us this last year where we've been studying the book of 1 Corinthians. We're actually getting ready to head back to 1 Corinthians here in about three weeks. And that's another letter written by Paul. 
If you look at these letters that he's written, you'll begin to notice a pattern to them. Paul often starts off identifying himself. You know, we usually start with like, hey, dear, you know, the name of who you're writing to, and we sign our name at the end. Back in the first century, though, they switched it up. They would actually start with, hey, this letter's coming to you from whoever. You know, so he's saying, hi, it's Paul. I'm a slave of God. This letter's going to the church in Ephesus. And he'll say usually some really nice things about them. And then he launches into like a theological treatise. He, he starts laying out this doctrinal foundation about the gospel. And, and after he says, all right, here's the theology you need to know. He then shifts gears in his letters where he begins to say, now, here's how this impacts life. And so it's like he lays out the gospel. Here's what the gospel is. Now here's the implications of it. Here's how it would affect your every day. And the book of Ephesians is the exact same way. If you go and look at it, chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul begins to lay out a theological foundation for his letter. In fact, chapter 2 is one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible because Paul just lays out a very clear explanation of the gospel. And in fact, all four of my kids, the meanings of their names come from Ephesians 2. So if you're curious about that, you can ask each of my kids, so what's your name mean? And each of them can tell you, and they might be even able to tell you, oh, my verse is this out of Ephesians 2. It's an important chapter. But then after a beautiful prayer at the end of chapter 3, Paul suddenly shifts into application. In fact, if you were to, those of you who have a, your Bible still open, look back at chapter 4, verse 1. He just says there, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So he's just getting done. Chapters 1, 2, and 3. Here's what the gospel is. Here's who Jesus is. Now, therefore, here's how you should walk in a manner according to how you were called. You've heard the gospel. Now here's the implications. Now, I point that out because starting here in verse 17, especially in the English Standard Version, it's a little heavy. I mean, there's a lot of kind of bigger words. The, the structure of the sentences don't flow as well as, as many other passages. It feels like a heavy theological discussion. But what I want you to realize is that it's actually an application type of discussion. Yes, there's some theology mixed in here, and it's going to be important. But I don't want you to miss that this has implications for how you are to live every day. This will help you become the new you. And to do that, he's going to set up a, a big contrast, a very stark one. He's going to help you see the way to walk in the Gentiles or the way to walk after Jesus. So we're going to start with walking like a Gentile. It starts in verse 17. He says, Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now, when you read that, you might think that he's using the word Gentile in like a derogatory way. It's almost like he's speaking evil, like, oh, don't be like those horrible Gentiles. Right? That's not what he's doing here. All right? First of all, the word Gentile just merely means a non-Jew. Right? So as I look out over you know, our audience today, I have a feeling that it's 100% Gentiles, okay? So you are Gentiles. Well, guess what? The audience that Paul was writing to all the way back in the first century, they were also Gentiles, almost all of them. There might have been a few Jews, but the majority would not have been. So when he's writing, do not be like the Gentiles, he's not trying to insult them. He's pointing out a stereotype. 
Now, Paul used to live in Ephesus. He lived there for about three years. He actually went, planted the church, so he knows these people. He knows this culture. So when he's writing this, he's writing out of his own personal experience. And the people reading his letter would have been sitting there going, yep, uh-huh, that's, that's the way it is. Because not only do they see it around them, many of them used to live it. This is how they used to be. And so what he writes here is not derogatory against anyone. He's just saying, here's the truth. Here's how it is. And what is it like to, be, to walk like these certain Gentiles? Verse 18, he says, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. If you go into the book of Romans, uh, Salem and I, my uh, 12-year-old, we're studying Romans uh, about two verses at a time on Friday mornings. His attention spans about 20 minutes. Uh, so we get through about two verses each time, and what we're seeing as we're walking through it is Paul starts saying, okay, here are these people, like these Gentiles. They're separated from God. And because God is light, if they're separated from him, they're in the darkness. But then what he is about to see is in chapter 2, he's like, oh, and these people who are really moral, they're also in darkness. Oh, and the Jews who think they have it all figured out because they were the chosen people of God, they're also in spiritual darkness. So basically, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So Paul's not trying to say, oh, you're better than these other people. They're like these horrible people in the darkness. No, he's just identifying that someone who's living alienated from God, if they're separated from him, they're in darkness, spiritual darkness. I remember one day when I was in high school, my family and I, just my family was my mom, my dad, uh, a younger brother, and myself. And we were down at like the football field. Uh, our football field was near this elementary school that I had gone to. And I don't remember why we were there. It was in the middle of the day. So I don't think we were there for a football game. But I do remember the walk home. To walk home, it was about, I don't know, five, six blocks or so. And we could kind of make the walk a little shorter by cutting through this big park that was sort of in the center of our community, Macomb Park. And the west side of Macomb Park was just basically an open field. It's where there was a ball diamond. But then it kind of went up a hill, and there were some trees up at the top before you got back into some residential area. So here we are walking through the open field, and my dad all of a sudden says, Hey, got a challenge for you. I want you to walk to that tree at the top of the hill, but I want you to walk there with your eyes closed. Now, I'll be with you. I'll make sure you don't stumble and fall. I'll make sure you don't run into anything, but just see if you can do it. I just close your eyes, keep them tight, and walk to that tree right there. I'm thinking, okay, that, that's easy, no big deal. So I set my sights on it, close my eyes, and I take off walking. Now, I knew internally I was going the right way, and I knew that my dad was trying to make a point that I was going to get way off, and I was just, like, enjoying this, like, he's going to be so shocked. Like, I'm going to open my eyes, and like, it's going to be there maybe just a few feet off. So any moment, my dad's going to say, okay, stop. Wow, Aaron, that was really good. I've never seen that before. So the moment came, dad says, all right, Aaron, stop. Now open your eyes. So I opened my eyes, getting ready for glory, and the tree is way over there. I had veered so far off course. And of course, that allowed my, my, I think my brother was probably about eighth grade at this time, to begin to tease me resoundly. I was so far off. That is the physical reality of what someone who's separated from God is like. 
They're in darkness. And they think they're walking the right way. They're longing for all this connection. And so they're just doing what seems right. And so they're just walking along, walking along, thinking, I'm getting there, I'm getting closer. But they're so far off that the only way you're going to truly find connection in life is in a relationship with Jesus. But they're leading the opposite way. And that's what Paul says there in verse 19. He says, they, these Gentiles, they have become callous. They have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. They're just longing and clinging, trying to get anything. And really what they're doing is they're engaging in selfishness. They use sex just to try and please themselves. They're engaging in lots of wine just to try and make themselves feel good. They're chasing after all this impurity, thinking that this is what's going to give me connection inside. But they're so far off course. Their attention is on the wrong things, and so they're going to the wrong place. Because Paul knows that where you look is where you'll walk. And these guys are just blindly walking into further darkness. So now he sets up the contrast. And he says, all right, this is what it's like to be alienated from God. Now, here's what it's like to walk in Jesus. Verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Now, I I love this verse because he's saying, guys, naturally, you think this is what's going to bring you happiness. These, These things, this engaging in sensuality, all this greed, going after these things, that that's going to make you happy. Because that's what we hear constantly out of our culture. When you stand around the water cooler at work and you hear people talk, it's just this chasing after these things. As we watch our movies, as we watch our, you know, music videos, as as we see TV, so much of it is this is where you'll find happiness. This is the way to go. And and so when you put your attention on it, you you think that's where I'm going to get. Because so many people think that if I can just sleep with enough people, if I can just have enough to drink, at the end of my 12-pack, I'll meet God. I'll finally find connection. But I'll be honest. I've heard several people give a testimony. They'll they'll stand up and say, you know what? I was an alcoholic for 20 years, and it got me no place. And then my eyes were open to God, and God freed me of my alcoholism. I've met Jesus, and they just had this radical transformation. But I have yet to hear anyone's testimony say, man, I started in on a 24-pack, and I got to the last bottle, and there he was. I met Jesus right there. It was the most glorious moment. No, usually it's, I finished it off and I was no happier. It's as they realize, this got me nothing. I just, I reached the end and it was dark. I got to the wrong place. That's when they finally have their eyes opened. Paul's saying, this is not how you found Christ. So get your eyes off of the things that lead you away from God and get a new outlook. But now, before he goes into, here's what the new outlook looks like, he throws in this little disclaimer, verse 21. He says, oh, wait, you learned about Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, I also love this verse because Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus, and it's almost like he's saying, well, hey, I realize there might be some people among you that aren't following Jesus yet. It's like Paul's like, hey, the church, you don't have to clean up your act before you can come and be a part of this church. In fact, the gospel is the opposite. You come to God, you come to Christ, and one of the great ways to do that is through the church, and you just come with your mess, with your background, with your sin, with your baggage, and you bring it and you give it to God. 
And so it's almost like he's saying, hey, you're, you're not going to find Christ through the way, the, walking like a Gentile. You've got to have a new outlook. And, and so I'm assuming that you know this. But if not, hey, I understand. It's okay. That's why I want to pause just for a moment and say, if you are here and you don't know Jesus, I'm glad you're here. Honestly, I'm, I'm glad you're here. And Riverwood is open to you. You do not have to believe in Jesus to come and be a part of our worship gatherings on Sundays. You do not have to follow Jesus to come to our growth groups, like Thursday night or Sunday afternoon. You, you don't have to follow Jesus in order to come and work at the food bank with us. Much of what we do here is open to you. You can come and belong. Now, I'm not going to lie. We will invite you to find and follow Jesus. We want nothing more for you. We think that's the greatest thing that could ever happen to you. So we're going to keep telling you about Jesus. We're going to keep talking about his death and resurrection. But you do not have to fully believe it yet in order to come and be a part. Now, there's a few things that wouldn't be available to you. Like communion. That, that celebrates Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. It's about the forgiveness of our sins. So if you're not following Jesus yet, that, that's really not for you. Next Sunday, we're going to celebrate baptism. That's for people who are saying, I identify with Jesus. His death, burial, and resurrection. So we're going to do this immersion baptism next week. And that's for people who are saying, I identify with Jesus. And so if you don't know Jesus yet, you're not following him, baptism's not for you. But that's okay. What you need to do is figure out, is this true? Is it real? And I can't think of a better place to do that than right here at Riverwood. And so please, engage Sundays with us. Come to our growth groups. Investigate. Is this all true? Because I believe it is. And as Paul, as I read what he wrote, I believe he believed it was true. Because he even said there in verse 20, uh, 21 that the truth is in Jesus. And so we want to invite you to keep looking at Jesus because we think you will see the truth and begin to follow him. So now he wants to point out, Paul's like, okay, I've already told you what it's like to walk in the way of the Gentile. Now here's what it looks like to walk like Jesus. Verse 22. The first thing is to get that new outlook. He says, to put off your old self. All right, so the way you used to walk in spiritual darkness, no longer look that way to put off the old self because it belongs to your former manner of life. It is corrupt through deceitful desires. How many of you have ever felt very tempted and drawn back to something maybe you wrestled with before you knew Jesus? Those desires, they're there, but they're deceitful. They, they promise you, this is where you'll be connected. This is where you'll find happiness. Just engage here. This is where joy is. It's deceiving you. You've got to put off the old self. Stop looking at it. Get the new outlook. And that's verse 23. And to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In other words, start thinking about things differently. It's hard sometimes because our, many in our culture say, nah, this is the right way to think. This is the truth. And, and it's hard because a lot of it may sound really, really good. But you realize, I used to believe that. I used to do that. And it got me nowhere. I was like walking in the dark. I was trying to walk this direction, but I ended up way over here. So it means I got to think about this differently. I got to have a new way to think. We've got to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. And when we do, verse 24, then we put on the new self, the new you. And who is that new you? It's created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Many of us, maybe you've tried to earn our salvation. We, we tried to prove to God, I can do it. We, we tried to say, I'm righteous. And yet, 
that's just as bad as trying to walk like a Gentile. It gets you nowhere. It also leads you to the wrong place because now you're trusting in yourself. True righteousness is found in Christ. It's admitting, I cannot make myself clean enough to be accepted by God. And so I therefore accept the righteousness of Jesus who lived a perfect life, and I take that and I accept it as my righteousness. That God looks at me and says, yeah, you're not quite good enough, but hey, my son, you checked him out. He's way good. In fact, I'll just count his righteousness to you. It's credited to your account. You're good. Come on in. That's what true righteousness is. That's what true holiness is. It's all based upon Jesus. And as we look at Jesus, as we walk after him, it says then that God will begin to create us into the likeness of Jesus, into the new you. But how do you do that? How do you begin to follow? Well, before I get to that how, let, let's look at the next section, because now he's saying, here's some of the output of this. If you begin to follow Jesus, if your eyes are on him, here's some of the natural things you're going to begin to see. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, all right, so you've put away the old self. You, you've walked away from the way of the Gentile. You put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Do you notice it? Paul's saying, hey, speak truth to each other, to encourage each other, to help each other, because we're all connected. If you follow Jesus, you are now part of the body of Christ. So help each other. Do you see? That's the opposite of the way of the Gentile. The walking uh, like a Gentile is going after selfishness. It's all about me, and you're taking and using all these things to try and find connection. Now suddenly, as you begin to follow Jesus, it's about others. It's about selflessness. And one of the ways you can do that is to give truth, speak truth, encouragement, love, help to others. Give it to others. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Oh, and give no opportunity to the devil. He's not saying you can't be angry. Anger's a natural emotion. But he's saying, be angry, but don't sin. Have you ever known someone who just seems to like wake up angry? Like the smallest thing just sets them off. Be careful if you look at your spouse, all right? Uh, we've all known that person. The overly angry person is incredibly selfish because it's all about me. They're not doing it the right way. They're not doing it my way. I can't believe they would think that because the way I think is the right way. I mean, we see this all the time on our Facebook feeds in this political season. People posting all these, you know, opinions, and this is the way. And then you get someone else who thinks things through, and they might come to a different conclusion, and it makes us angry. Are you angry? because they're just not believing it the way you want? Are you making it all about you? Notice, though, it's be angry. That's a natural reaction, but don't sin in it. Don't make it all about you. Begin to turn this over. Release it and allow God to come in and help you deal with this so that you can help others. Because if you're angry, you're probably not going to be there available to bless other people. But if you can find that place of peace, if you can allow God to speak into your anger— you can calm down and actually be able to help people and be a blessing to them. Verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. 
Again, there's the contrast. The thief was walking in the way of the Gentile. It was all about self. He'd see something he wanted. It didn't belong to him, but who cares? He'd steal it for himself. Now he's saying, if you've made the switch, if you're now the new self, no longer steal, go out, work hard, get a job, make an honest living, and not just to make enough money to take care of yourself. Instead, he says, it should be um, so that you would have something to share with anyone in need. It's to be selfless, to give to others, to be a blessing. And and it goes on, verses uh, 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. In other words, don't just say these things that that are, you know, revealed walking in the way of the Gentile in darkness, but only such as good for building up, all right? It's for others. The things you say should be building up others as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The way you go from switching from the walking like a Gentile to walking like Jesus is to have this shift. Instead of it all being about you and getting what you need, it becomes about others. But that is so hard. The way we do it is to keep our eyes on Jesus. Because where you look is where you walk. And as your eyes are on Jesus, now you'll begin to live like him. And you'll be made into that image. And so when someone does something against you, hey, you can forgive. Because God has forgiven you. You can become like God. And that's what he finishes with, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. You ever watched a little boy hang out with his dad? He tries to act like his dad. He tries to talk like his dad. He wants to be like his dad. And how does the little boy do that? He's watching. He's observing. He's always looking at his daddy. And now you beloved children, if your faith is in Jesus, you too can become like your father by keeping your eyes on him, looking at him, and having that new outlook, the shift in perspective. You will become like God, and you will be a blessing to others, loving them, caring for them, and it will no longer be about living for self. It's now living for others. So what we need to ask ourselves then is, how do you keep looking at Jesus. Well, last couple of weeks in the series, I've really hit hard the concepts of prayer and uh, reading the scripture. Bible and prayer, right? It's a, it's a two-handed approach, all right? It's a one-two punch against the old self, all right? Because I've hammered it so hard, I'm not going to hit it so much today. What I'd encourage you to do is if you missed one or both of the first two uh, messages in the series, go back online, weareriverwood.org, or head to iTunes to their podcast section and just do a search for Riverwood Church in Waverly, Iowa, and you'll find it. And I encourage you to listen to those because I talk a lot about the importance of getting into the scriptures. The first week we talked about having a, a plan for reading the scriptures, and then last week we looked at having a plan while reading the scriptures. We introduced the SOAP method to you of reading the scripture, observing, applying, and then praying about it. If you get our Thursday uh, uh, news and notes email, I introduced another Bible study method uh, that you could read that actually combined reading the Bible and prayer together. I want you to get this, all right? So 
begin to put together a plan, begin to make this a habit, because it is a powerful way to help you keep your eyes on Jesus, to look at him, because where you look is where you'll walk. Also, get around other people who are going to help you, all right? Get into a growth group. Our Thursday night growth group just launched this last Thursday. Our Sunday afternoon growth group is getting ready to launch this coming Sunday, not today, but next week. Get into one of those groups. If neither of those times work for you, then start a group. And a group can be you and one other person. Do breakfast before work, maybe do lunch, do something on Saturday. Find a way to get with someone who's just going to encourage you to read the scriptures, to pray, and they're going to be able to help remind you of what it means to look at Jesus and to follow him, and you will do the same for them. In fact, guys, if you're brave enough, get up on Saturday mornings. We meet at 6 a.m. There's right now four of us that meet at High V, and we're studying through the book of Ephesians. And we just read a section. We do observation, application—I'm sorry, observation, interpretation, and application. We just—what do we see? What does it mean? And so what should we do? And then we just pray for each other. And we usually go about an hour and a half, and then we head back home, and we've got the rest of our Saturday to do what we need to. Get into a group. Get around some people who are going to help you keep your eyes on Jesus. But then I was thinking about it. I hammer those all the time. Bible, prayer, growth group. I think those are the three key things. But yet, last week I admitted, if we were all music, we'd all be different genres. And so some of us connect to God in different ways. And so I just thought, what are some other ways some people might be able to keep their eyes on Jesus? One I thought of was music. I'm a musician. I connect with God through music. And so listen to some good worship music. Find ways to just connect with God. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Some of you are readers, and so read a book. Maybe you like audiobooks, so listen to a book on your commute to work. Find some way to help you keep your eyes on Jesus. I, I know a couple of you, you love being out in nature. So do. Get up on a Saturday morning, head out, and just spend an hour walking among the trees, praying. Pray to God. Thank him for who he is, what he's done for you through the gospel. Pray for other people. Just get out in nature. And you will find yourself just feeling connected to your maker like never before. Jesus, when he came, he said that he came not to be served, but to serve. So serve someplace. Join us at Servant at the Monthly Food Bank. Serve right here on a Sunday morning. Serve other people. Find some place to volunteer. Because as you serve, you're in a sense putting your eyes on others. And that's exactly how Jesus lived. He was always there to serve other people. And so keep your eyes on him by being like him. There's other ways. Each of you can think of some. What are the ways that will help you connect with God to keep looking at Jesus? Because I'll be honest, if you don't think about it, if you don't put together a plan, you will just naturally drift, and you will, next thing you know, put your eyes back onto the walking like a Gentile, and you will find yourself going, putting your attention on the wrong things, and you'll end up going to the wrong place. Because where you look is where you'll walk. So you've got to put together a plan. You've got to be proactive and say, God, I believe you have my best in mind. So I want you. I want to go after you. No matter what the world says, no matter how tempted I am, no matter how tantalizing that sounds, I need a new perspective. I need a new outlook. I need Jesus. And so fight for it. Ask God to empower you because it's worth it. Because when you live this way, when you seek after Jesus, your eyes are on him, you begin to walk this way, you'll begin to love like Jesus loved, and you'll begin to live like Jesus lived. And your life will be a blessing to others. And other people will find themselves 
thankful and grateful for being around you because your life will not be about you. Your life will be about Jesus, which means your life will be about others. So to form the new you, to become into the image of Jesus, we need a new outlook because where you look is where you'll walk. So Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would help us with this. You've given us your Holy Spirit to empower us to put our eyes on you. And yet, God, I admit I am so prone and drawn to, to keep my eyes on the things of this world. There's so much there that, that sounds so good, and yet it, it's darkness. God, I don't want to go there. I don't want my church family to go there. I don't want us heading into the wrong places. So God, renew our eyes, renew our minds, help us to have this new outlook that we would see you and who you are, what you've done through the cross, how much it means. Help us to preach the gospel to ourselves daily so that we see Jesus for who he is and what he is doing and will do. And that as we then seek after you, you will begin to spill out of us your love, your grace, your kindness, your gentleness, your faithfulness. We will be these people of integrity that other people will want to be around. We will be the type of people that other people want to listen to, that want to get their advice from us, because there will be something different about us. And it won't be because we're so great. It will be because you are so great in us. So God, help us to see this. Help us to go after it. Empower us through your Holy Spirit to walk after Jesus. Help us to look after him because where we look is where we'll walk. And I can't think of any other place to be than with you. So God, help us as we follow Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.